All right, well, today we are kicking off a new series called Rhythms. And uh, we're going to be talking about the rhythms of worship, work, rest, and relationships. These are essential elements uh, to healthy living or flourishing, you might say, as a human. Um, I don't know if you knew this, but rhythm is an essential element to music. Uh, you can have rhythm and have no melody, but you, can, you cannot have um, melody without rhythm. Uh, you have to have rhythm, not just to have good music, to have anything that you would call music. Rhythm is essential. Uh, and that's bad news for me because I do not have rhythm. Uh, not, I, I just don't have it, right? And so I'm, that's why I'm not a musician and I'm not a worship leader and I am a pastor and I'm not one of those multi-gifted singing pastors. I'm not that guy either. Uh, I don't have that kind of rhythm. But rhythm is to music as you might say flour is to cake or as clouds are to rain or as fuel is to fire. You got to have it. In a similar way, worship and work and rest and relationships are some of the essentials to healthy living, to, to flourishing. You, you cannot live life as God has designed you to live it uh, without health in these areas. Uh, you know, there are sometimes things in life that, that knock us off rhythm. Uh, when we don't worship as we should, or maybe work as we should, or maybe we don't get the, as much rest as we should. Sometimes we don't manage our relationships as we should, and we find ourselves with, uh, with arguments and, and with bitterness, um, or we might be tempted to harbor unforgiveness, and all these things are unhealthy, and sometimes we come into uh, the seasons of life, we wrestle with problems in, 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 different er- in different parts of these areas, and what it does is it makes life increasingly worrisome, um, increasingly tiring, because we're not living life with the rhythms that God's called us to live them in. You know, if you, if you read Genesis chapter 1 and Genesis chapter 2, you'll discover that worship, work, rest, and relationships, they were all a part of human flourishing. They were all a part of what it meant to be a healthy human being before sin ever entered the world. In other words, you are created to worship. You are created to work. You are created to need rest. And yes, you are created for relationships. And we'll see this over the next few weeks. But we know that something happened after Genesis 1 and 2. Genesis 3 happened, and the fall of man happened. Sin entered the world. Man rebelled against God, starting with Adam and Eve in the garden. And since then, we've all been sinners by nature and by choice. And because of that, you can go on and read Genesis chapter 3, and you can see the effect of what happened when sin entered the world. It affected worship. It affected work and their for rest and it affected relationships. You see Adam and Eve hiding from one another, running from God, blaming one another for their sin, no longer walking in that sweet, perfect fellowship with the Lord. And we see that when the curse comes, we see that work doesn't enter the world. Work was already there, but now it's become more taxing. It's become more frustrating. And now we live in a day where sometimes people overwork or sometimes people are lazy. Sometimes people refuse to rest or sometimes people rest too much, right? We get out of balance in all these areas, but we're created to know and love and worship God, to love others, to work and to rest. These things are essential 
And as believers in Jesus, there's something we know. We know that when we put our faith in Jesus, God, we are restored to a right relationship with God, and God begins to help us to recover and pursue His design in all these areas of, of worship and work and rest and relationships, all these different areas. We begin to pursue God's will. We begin to align our lives with God's purposes. But this current pandemic that we're in has sort of knocked our nation even our world, off rhythm. We look at the systems that we rely on, and, and man, they're, they're being taxed, whether it's the government or the, the healthcare system or the job industry or our economy. Everything's being rocked. Even churches, as, as you know, we're not gathering in person today, right? We're gathering in our homes, and you're watching this on a screen. Everything's changed. It's been kind of knocked off rhythm. So how do we pursue healthy rhythms, the essential ones, like worship and work and rest and relationships during this unique season that we're in that's kind of knocked us off rhythm? How do we, how do we pursue this in a way that helps us to flourish even during a pandemic? Well, today we're going to start with the rhythm of worship. We're going to talk about worship. And I'm going to read to you from what I believe is one of the great passages in the Bible on worship, Psalm 95. I'm going to be reading from the English Standard Version, Psalm 95. Let's read verses 1 through 11. O come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come into his presence with thanksgiving. Let us make a joyful noise to him with songs of praise. For the Lord is a great God, and a great King above all gods. In His hand are the depths of the earth. The heights of the mountains are His also. The sea is His, for He made it, and His hands formed the dry land. O come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker, for He is our God, and we are the people of His pasture, and the sheep of His hand. Today. If you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as at Meribah, as on the the day at Massah in the wilderness, when your fathers put me to the test and put me to the proof, though they had seen my work. For 40 years I loathed that generation and said, they are a people who go astray in their heart and they have not known my ways. Therefore I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Psalm 95 and It's a call to worship. That whole psalm is written as a call to worship God because people are created to worship God. And God's people, uh, believers, believers in the Lord Jesus Christ should especially worship God. You know, uh, the very fact that we're created, he he says there in verse 6, he says, come kneel down before the Lord our maker. He, He talks about God's creative power within this psalm and he reminds us that we're human beings and that we've been made by God. And so, you know, creations like us, uh, we are created with the purpose of pointing back to the creator. Sort of like if you were to view a piece of art. Uh, Maybe you look and you see a piece of art on the wall, and if it's a great piece of art, you begin to look at that piece of art, and at some point, you move past the art to the artist, and you think, wow, a really talented artist created this art. Whether it's a song you're listening to, a painting on a wall, or a poem or a book uh, that you've read, at some point, you think about the talent, you think about the artist, you think about the one behind the art, and in the same way, when we look at creation, it's meant to make us think about God and to think, wow, we have an incredible, creative, powerful creator. In the same way, when you consider yourself, when when you consider the fact that you didn't just come to be, you were created 
It's a reminder that we are not made for ourselves. We are made for the Creator. We exist for Him. We exist for His pleasure. We are created to worship, created to give glory to the Creator, to another. And in this strange season, you might ask, well, how can we stay on track when this rhythm of worship has had a coronavirus wrinkle thrown into it? This psalm on worship here in Psalm 95, I think, helps us to understand that. And here's kind of the big idea I want us to wrap our minds around today. That's this. We are made for worship. And true worship requires, it requires rightly responding to God's revelation and resting in Christ. Say that again. True worship requires rightly responding to God's revelation and resting in Christ. And this psalm is going to point us there. In fact, we're going to use three words to help us kind of unpack this idea about worship. Three words, okay? The first word is revelation. The second word is response. And the third word is rest. These are three essential ingredients, okay? Essential ingredients to healthy worship. You need revelation. You need response. And we're going to see at the end of this passage, we need rest, okay? So let's start with revelation. What am I talking about? Well, worship is ultimately a response to value. It's a response to worth. Christian worship is responding appropriately to God's supreme value and worth. It's responding with our hearts and in our lives in a way that's appropriate in accordance with who God is and what He's done. And see, you can't have a response without revelation. You can't respond to nothing. You have to have something to respond to. Uh, Imagine you get a phone call today and somebody says, such and such has happened to me and I can't believe that you didn't call me about it. I can't believe that you didn't text me about it. I can't believe that you didn't reach out to me when I went through this. And you're sitting there and maybe you're thinking, I had no idea that this was going on. See, you didn't, you, you didn't have the revelation, right? You had no idea this was going on, so you could not respond appropriately. And similarly, we can't respond appropriately to God without having God revealed to us. And fortunately, we, we have a God who wants to be known, a God who has revealed himself to us. And, and this psalm in particular reveals two important things about God, all right? And so God reveals himself through his word. Yes, through his creation, we have general revelation that we can see the moon and the stars at night and, and, and make us go, wow, God, you're awesome. But God's given us something much more specific and better. He's given us his word. He's revealed himself to us even in a person, in the Lord Jesus Christ, come in the flesh that his word points us to. And here, this particular word, in Psalm 95, it tells us two very important things. It reveals two very important things about God. That God is powerful and that God is personal. In verse 3, he says, the Lord is a great God and a great king above all gods. He is our God, he says in verse 7. He is our God, and we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. He's, he's great. He's powerful. He's above all. And at the same time, he's personal. He's ours. We are his people. If, you, if you're a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ today, you are one of his people. He's, he's our God, and we are his people. And these passages reveal God both as powerful and personal. And, and in doing so, they reveal the futility of idols, right? He, he's a great king above all gods, above all idols, right? Because idols, false gods, they're neither all-powerful nor are they really personal. Uh, and false gods are, are not our gods, right? They're not, they're, they're not our god. Uh, the Israelites, the people that this was, this was written for, for them to sing and use and worship, 
It was written to encourage them because they had been chosen by God to be gods and to worship God. He was theirs and he had shown himself to be the all-powerful creator of the universe. And today we we read it and it's to point us past the, the false idols that we see around us, just like it was to point them past the false idols that was around them, around the other nations. And we have other idols that pop up in, in, in our culture as well. And it's, and it's to call us to, to not look to those, but to look to our God who is all powerful and who is personal. As, as he says here, he's above all gods. And that's not some statements saying that there's more than one God. What that is is a statement that is admitting our sin. See, we've created other gods, idols that offer false hopes and promise false salvations. Those false gods cannot compare. They, they, they make promises. They can't compare to God. They make some, some promises, but they can't ultimately fulfill those promises. Only God ultimately delivers on his promises. And the reason people have idols and the reason people don't worship God appropriately it all comes down to sin. In fact, Romans 1, verses 21 through 23, point this out. It says, although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. Right? They didn't, we didn't honor God as God or give thanks to God as God. It goes on to say, we exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. In other words, uh, part of the problem uh, that mankind has is we've stopped worshiping God. We've turned away from worshiping God, but we didn't stop worshiping. Instead, we give worship to things that aren't worthy of our worship, things that aren't all-powerful, things that, that aren't all-powerful at the same time personal. And it's only through the gospel, we're going to see here in a moment, it's only through the gospel that we are restored to a right relationship with God, and we begin to forsake our idols and instead worship the one true God as we should. You know, many times our idols are things that make us feel worthy. Right? Worship's about showing, it's about declaring the worthiness of God, recognizing His supremeness and His worth. But idolatry many times is about, about looking to feel worthy, about making yourself feel worthy. Because in our hearts, we are more interested in subscribing worth to ourselves than we are to God many times. See, people worship their careers because their career provides success and security. It makes them feel worthy. People worship relationships or a certain relationship because the affirmation and safety they get there, it, it makes them feel worthy. And, and what happens ultimately is when these idols are taken away, people get crushed, right? When these idols don't deliver, people get crushed. People's health fails and they're in deep despair because their hope was in their health. Or they get dumped and they get destroyed because their hope was in the, what they were getting out of that relationship. And none of these idols can hold up to life's pandemics, <laughs> to life's earthquakes, to life's hardships. But the Lord, he says, is a great God above all gods. In other words, only God can handle the weight of our worship. And only God is worthy of our worship. Only God can handle the weight of our worship and is worthy of our worship all at the same time. In his hand, the psalmist says, are the depths of the earth. The heights of the mountains are his also. The sea is his. For he made it and his hands formed the dry land. See, the psalmist says, because God made it, it's his. And God made you, and God made me, so we're his too. And if, and if God can hold the depths of the earth in his hand, then God can hold you, and he can hold me in his hand. We serve a great and powerful God. We need to constantly be forsaking idols and looking to God and opening his word and allowing his word to reveal to us who he is. 
So as you worship at home in this season, you need to realize you need to constantly have this revelation for worship. Discovering the power of God, the personal nature of God, the holiness of God, the righteousness of God, the goodness of God. We need the word of God. Yeah, creation shouts to us God's worthiness, but we we need the word of God that shouts to us that God is powerful and holy and righteous and good and loving and, yes, personal. The word of God gives us the revelation we need. So during this season, make sure you're spending time in God's word. Yeah, tune into videos, tune into online streaming, do all those sort of things, but read the Bible, pray, spend time with God. See, our hearts are going to worship. And if the only power that you're revealing to yourself during this season is technology, your heart will gravitate towards worshiping technology. You may begin to look to that instead of to God. So we need to, to get we need to get into the Word of God and get the Word of God into us. We gotta challenge our hearts to not let it gaze at things like technology or be surrounded by the turmoil of this day. And we need to allow it to we need to show it continually to allow it to see God for who he is through his word so that Christ is revealed to us, so that God and his worthiness is revealed to us. And so so that our hearts don't begin to craft idols. Our hearts will be happy to craft idols if we don't continually reveal to our heart the beauty of God. We need revelation. But secondly, we need response. We need response. You cannot have worship without response. Worship is responding to the revelation of who God is. Uh, In other words, it's kind of this love must be expressed. Uh, Worship, in the same way, must be expressed. Right? It's one thing to to love someone, or it's another thing to express that love. Right? They, They. would have no idea. Um, In fact, in in the New Testament, you see love is not so much a feeling as it is an action, right? Uh, First John talks about that, right? If we say we love someone, don't just love them in word, but love them in deed and in truth. And so he talks about feeding them and clothing them and helping them and meeting their need because because love has an action. It requires a response from us, right? So if you fall in love with someone, it You're going to respond to them in a certain way. You're going to tell them that you love them because that revelation requires a response. And in the same way, if we're going to really worship God, we have to respond to the revelation of who God is. Notice he calls in the psalm, he calls us to to worship specific ways. Now, the truth is we we can do these things and not really worship, but they're still important. He talks about joyful singing. He talks about thanksgiving, singing songs of praise. He says, bow down before the Lord. He says, kneel before the Lord. Now, the aim in all these things is the heart, as he gets to later in the passage when he talks about not hardening your heart. The aim is the heart. All these postures are meant to just reinforce the idea that in our heart, we are responding to God. And what you really see, you kind of categorize these into two categories, joyful celebration and humble submission. We're to... Have joyful celebration in our response to God and humble submission. In other words, you are to enjoy God and you are to obey God. You are to enjoy God and you are to obey God. He says, he talks about joy, thanksgiving, and praise. Uh, The singing he talks about here is joyful singing. The noise he talks about making is a joyful noise. That's me. That's what I make is a joyful noise, right? But that's a good thing. It glorifies God. He 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 says, do this to the rock of your salvation. You see, what happens when someone gets rescued? Celebration. 
emotional explosion. He, he refers to God as the rock of your salvation, right? Of the rock of your rescue. And it doesn't matter if someone gets good news from a doctor or if, if, it's, a, if it's a kid hitting a two-run home run in a ball game. When, when good things happen, man, when, when people celebrate, right? And, and there's no good thing like salvation. It, it should cause us to celebrate. And those who have experienced God's rescue, we have reason to respond to God with joy. True worship is about enjoying God. You respond to who He is and you're thankful for what He's done who he's revealed himself to be, what he's done and doing in your life. Uh, We begin to sing not simply out of duty, but joy because your heart loves God, believes God, responds to God because you've discovered that God is your greatest treasure. In verse 6, he says, Oh, come, let us bow, come and let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our maker. The point here is that physical posture symbolizes a heart posture of humility and submission. See, the world offers false joy, and dead religion offers false humility. But only by engaging in our true relationship with God and true worship of the one true God do you get true joy and true humility, not false humility and and fleeting false joys. Only seeing God for who God has revealed himself to be in his word uh, and responding to that God, and, and joy and submission as your heart is transformed by what he's done for you in Christ. Man, that's what worship really is. That's where transformation really happens. That's what it looks like to really respond to God. The psalmist here is driving at our heart. That's why he gives us reasons, right? He gives us reasons to, to respond this way. If you want performance only, you can motivate by a lot of things. You can motivate by fear, intimidation, and threats. Bow down and worship God or else, right? He doesn't say that. Instead, he says, look how great God is. Look, he's your God. He's your shepherd. He cares for you. He loves you. He gives us reasons to worship because he's not just trying to make you worship. He's trying to woo your heart because God is after not just your actions, not just performance, but he's after our hearts. He wants more than the performance of worship. God wants a heart that loves him and worships him and humility and joy. Enjoying God and obeying God, submitting to God, all these things, they come together in worship of the God of the Bible when we understand who he is and what he's done. Notice the text makes a turn, though, in verse 7 and 8. And here's the tension, if you will, in this text. This is where we find out if we're responding properly to God. If we're going through the motions of truly heart worshiping, because worship flows from a responsive heart. Joy and humility and enjoying God and obeying God, these things flow from a believing heart. Only true worshipers will worship from what we're about to talk about, and that is this, rest. Rest, that's the third word, rest. We've talked about revelation, we've talked about response. The third key ingredient here is rest. Only true worshipers will find the rest he points to in this passage. He tells us that. And you can only true worship, I'm going to show you this morning, if you have rest. Those that are true worshipers, they respond to God's revelation rightly. They find rest ultimately. But we're going to see only those that rest now will rest later. So let's talk about rest. At the end of the passage, that word rest is a warning. <laughs> it's an, it's, and it's also an implied promise. It's a warning and it's an implied promise. It, it is something that the Israelites, he says, missed out on. 
Uh, the rest God did not allow them to enter that he speaks of here is, is the promised land. Ultimately, uh, the rest of the promised land points to a deeper rest. Now, the Israelites ultimately did enter the promised land, but the ones he's speaking about in the psalm, they didn't, right? That generation died off. But ultimately, the Israelites go in. So the people who are singing this psalm, they experience going into the promised land. So it ultimately pointed past the promised land to something deeper, which was ultimately being in God's presence and ultimately experiencing his salvation. So he says, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart because God's people have a responsibility to listen to and to by faith obey God. That's the right response that we're called to. Now, the context here, though, of the story he's telling and the warning he's given is very interesting. He references Meribah and Massah, and this is from Exodus 17. In Exodus 17, God had delivered Israel out of Egypt, and Moses was leading them toward the promised land. And as they got away from Egypt, they had a water crisis, and they got very frustrated. So they start complaining about not having water. And God had already done a series of miracles to show his guidance of them and protection and care for them and delivering them, right? He had literally parted the Red Sea for them. But rather than say, you know what? We don't have water here at this place. I bet God's going to take care of us. Instead, they were faithless. And they grew bitter and angry at God. Begin to point the finger at Moses. They were not responding in their heart to the way a worshiper is supposed to respond to who God is. In verse 10, we talk in here about when they come to Canaan and God had promised them the land. And, and then spies came back and, and basically said, you know what, they, they sent spies into Canaan to look at the land that God had promised them. The spies come back and, and they give a bad report. Now, one of them didn't. One spy gives a good report, right? But Caleb. But, but the other spies, they give a bad report. And the people, instead of believing Caleb's report, which was rooted in the fact that God has made us a promise and we're going to believe God, they believe the, the faithless report. These people are too big, too strong, we're going to get destroyed. So they didn't trust God's promise. And what you see here is, man, they just had a, a habit of not trusting God. They had a habit of not believing God. They had a habit of not responding to God with a heart of worship and a heart of humble joy and submission. And the consequence, he says here, is they did not enter his rest. That generation died off and didn't go into the promised land. But he says it can happen to you too, he tells them. Because the promised land points to more than actual physical land. Worship, see, is about more than rituals. It's about the heart, as we've said earlier. Singing lips don't necessarily mean there's a worshipful heart. Because we attend church or because we tune into this or because we open our Bibles doesn't really mean our heart's in the right place, right? How do we respond to God? Do we trust God? Do we have faith? Do we obey? These are the things that show whether we are really walking with God or not. And for those in the Psalms, the warning is ultimately here, don't miss out on the eternal rest God offers through salvation, through knowing and enjoying his presence forever. He's saying you can appear. This is what the psalmist is saying. You can appear to be a part of the community that worships God, but actually not really be in that community. You can be in it physically, but not spiritually. You can be one who goes through the motions without having a heart that believes God. And that warning remains today. You can be a part of the church. You can be a part of the visible church, but not 
spiritually be a part of the church because you haven't actually really trusted and properly responded to God. In the New Testament, in Hebrews chapter 3 and 4, this passage is used to encourage people to find rest in Christ. That's the context that it puts it in. And to continue trusting Christ, to persevere in their faith in the midst of trials and suffering and difficulty. To just continue to rest in Christ in all situations. Let me read to you from Hebrews 4. Hebrews 4, 1 says this. Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands. Now, all this is given after he quotes. The, the writer of Hebrews quotes Psalm 95, what we've already read in Hebrews. And then he says this. While the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear, lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. So he says it's, you can fail to, fail to enter that rest. But listen to what he says in verses 10 and 11 of Hebrews 4. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. So it's a rest you've entered and it's a rest you will enter. See, in the New Testament, this is what we understand. God's God's rest is something we enter through trusting Christ. Listen to what Jesus said in Matthew 11. Matthew 11, 28 through 30. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, And I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. See, Jesus is the the rest giver. We cease from trying to earn God's favor. From trying to keep all the rules in order to impress God. Or somehow get God on our side. Instead, we look to Christ who has God's favor. And we get God's favor through faith in Christ. We trust Him and, and He makes us righteous. And He takes our sin away. And we rest in what Christ has done. And who Christ is to save us. See, all believers will one day experience eternal rest with God. There's a rest we, though, enter today through faith in Christ, and there's a rest we will enter one day in eternity. See, we, we, we are saved, we're being saved, and we will one day be saved out there in the future, ultimately. And only true worshipers will have that ultimate rest. That's why there's a warning here. False worshipers, phonies, those going through the motions, they won't receive this rest. And at the same time, The New Testament teaches us only those who have rested in Christ will ultimately and truly worship God now. See, only only the gospel can produce a true worshiper, and only true worshipers have experienced gospel rest. So what happens is this. We, We turn away from our sin. We realize we're sinners. We realize we've broken God's rules. We turn away from that. We, we turn away from trying to be righteous on our own, our self-righteousness, and trying to be good enough. We repent of that, and we rest. We sit down in. We relax in. We trust in what Christ has done for us and who he is as the son of God who lived a sinless life, died in our place, and rose again. And, and we trust him. And then we continue to trust him. We persevere in that. And one day, we experience eternal rest with God. And all those who trust in Christ now, who rest in Christ now, will will rest with God for all of eternity in His presence, away from pain and suffering forever. But, but those who do not rest in Christ now will not experience that rest later. So in this life, we worship from rest. When we rest in Christ, we are transformed into people who see God and want to respond to God 
appropriately. We see him through his word, who he is and what he's done. And we want to respond in joy and obedience because we've rested in Christ and he's transformed our hearts. And so we we worship from rest, but also toward rest, because we know that one day we're going to spend an eternity with God. And until then, we're going to keep pressing in and trusting Christ and fighting for our faith, standing in Christ and and putting off anything, uh, anything that would cause us to trust in something else other than the Lord Jesus Christ. See, real worship begins when Christ is revealed to us and we respond to him in faith. When we rest in him, and then from that rest, we look forward to that day of ultimate rest in God's presence. So in light of our current pandemic season, let me, let me say this to you if you're a believer this morning. Rest in Christ. Trust him. Trust him. Rest in him. Look to him. First, for yeah, obviously your salvation, but trust his work, not your work. Absolutely, but, but trust him in all things. Trust Him with your future, with your health, with your, with your life. And that will continually create in you a heart that longs to worship God. Heed the warning that if your heart hardens, if you fail to respond to God in faith and obedience, it may ultimately reveal that you're not a true worshiper and that you've, rest, that you've not really rested in Christ. So rest in Christ. Press on and remember... God is concerned with your heart, not simply the rituals. He's concerned with your heart. So so work on your heart during this season. Rest in Christ. Open the word of God so that you see God revealed to you through his word and Christ revealed to you through through his word. And then respond. Trust him. And yes, obey him from a heart of faith. We're saved by grace and through faith. And that alone. And then our lives are to be lived in obedience from that heart of faith. Tim Keller makes a good point. He says, unless you find rest in Christ, worship will just be another work to you, another way to try and earn God's favor. Rest in Christ. Rest in Christ. And if you don't know Christ today, let me just say, God has made you for himself. Joy and life, it's ultimately found in being a worshiper of the one true God. You, you, you can't you can't find those things ultimately in the idols of this world and power and money and pleasure and all the things we pursue. All those idols, man, they burn up, they fall aside. Only Christ lasts. Have you rested in him? Have you rested from your works? Have you stopped trying to be good enough? Have you stopped trying to do enough to get into heaven or to earn God's favor? And have you looked to Jesus who is sinless and lived a sinless life and who went to the cross and paid for your sins on the cross. Your idols can't take care of your sin. Your works can't take care of your sin. Only Jesus can. Have you rested in him? Put your faith in him, believing that he died in your place and rose again. If you haven't done that, we invite you to do that today. You can call on him right there in your home. Call out to him in prayer and and tell him you're, you're giving him your life. Call out to him. Put your faith in the gospel. Turn away from your sin and believe in Jesus that he died in your place and rose again. And if you do that, or if you've got questions about that, email us at info at gonorthpark.com. Or if you're watching in our Go North Park online portal, you can, you can go up to the top right corner and you can click the connection card. And you can let us know that way. But just let us know. And believer, if there's any way we can pray for you and encourage you in this season, please let us know. We want to help you walk with Christ during this time and during this season. Let's, let's make sure that we're engaging in that rhythm of worship, having the revelation that we need from God's word, responding like we're supposed to as we rest in 
Christ. Let's pray together. Father, we are thankful today for the word of God that is true and that is powerful and that is sharper than any two-edged sword. And Lord, we pray today that you would make us more and more into a people that worship you because you are worthy of our worship. And God, we want to declare your praise and we want to be a people who respond to you in a way that, that... that's in sync with who you reveal yourself to be as the holy, loving, good, all-powerful, personal God of the Bible, of the universe. Let us be a people that respond in faith and in obedience and joy and submission. Let us be a people who rest in Christ. I pray for any today who have yet to do that, that today that they would look to Christ and rest in Him. Lord, help us in this crazy season that we're in to fix our eyes on you and to and to become more engaged worshipers than we even were before. And we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining us today for our online message. And once again, I want to remind you, if you're a North Parker and you want to engage with us through your giving, you can do that at gonorthpark.com. Or if you're just someone who's been blessed by this message and you'd like to support our ministry, you can do that through the give link at gonorthpark.com. We love you, church. Uh, We're praying for you. We're looking forward to being able to gather again. Until then, let's continue to be worshipers. Well, well, well.